0: So this is the very first episode of Losing My Opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm Thomas Irwin.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, I'm Matt Longo. (laughs) We were supposed to rehearse that. I'm sorry. I messed it up already.
0: That's me on the podcast. Sharing a song with something to say about it. Within Lear and Liagra Moon in my opinion this is a, a podcast where uh we're gonna share music with you and we got something to say about it good or bad we do and uh we're musicians ourselves i go by niagara moon
1: i go by thin Lear. i got that one i came in well that you time did. the timing was perfect
0: the timing was perfect it was
1: musical timing if i do say so myself
0: yeah, we don't even have a uh, bad Zoom lag or anything. Not, not yet. We're riding high right now. It's coming, but not yet. And, um, you know, we're, we're kicking this podcast off. I, I thought of a potential catchphrase for you. I don't know. Okay. We'll, we'll see what you think here. Yeah. So uh, my fiance, Huey Min, is watching the show, Buddy versus Duff. Okay. It's a cooking show on uh, Discovery+. Plus. And Buddy, he's, he's the cake boss. He's this guy from Jersey, kind of this older greaseball dude. Nice.
1: Uh,
0: he'll try to get you psyched up about what he's working on. They make these ridiculous like, sculptures and works of art out of cake. Okay. Uh, but he'll try to get you hyped up. He's like, we're going to make the best cake you ever seen. Hoboken style, baby.
1: Are you saying that's our catchphrase?
0: That's your catchphrase. That's my
1: catchphrase. Aren't you in Hoboken? Uh, no. I am in Jersey. No? I'm in I'm in Jersey now. I could claim it. I could claim Hoboken. Where did I get Hoboken, I Hoboken from? I guess I would say Waldwick style baby, but that doesn't really nah, have the same ring to it.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I'll work Back on to it to the drawing board. I'll work on it.
1: Uh, so today, man, I have yes a particularly piping hot take for you, or what I think is a is a hot take that I know people are going to probably disagree with, uh, and it's something that I like had trouble admitting to myself um, because the, the original song was so important to me. So Mm -hmm. you can tell already that I'm talking about a cover. We're talking about a cover today and we're talking about a Beatles cover. You know, I know there's a lot of chat, somebody covered the Beatles. Somebody covered the Beatles. Yes. It was one time. It happened one time.
0: The fuck.
1: Uh, And I know there's a lot of get back discussion. Today it's not it's not so much about the Beatles as it is about Mr. Wilson Pickett, and and we're, we're going to talk about his his, his cover. Uh, for, I mean, for starters, mm-hmm. I got to ask you if you were to name the most iconic moments in Beatles songs. So not like Beatles moments, but yeah. musical moments in Beatles songs. What moments would you choose? You know, we're talking about like the orchestral crescendo of a day in the Uh life kind of moment. We're
0: talking the Mellotron intro to Strawberry Fields (laughs) Forever (laughs) with the flute sound. Yes. Uh, What else? We're talking the 40-second long uh, piano thud. Mm -hmm. You know, the four pianos playing the same chord at Uh the end of Day in the Life. I mean, take your pick.
1: John Lennon, when he farted on Piggies, when he farts at the end of Piggies, like that long, loud fart at the end of that song. Wait, are
0: you serious? Yeah, you
1: know, listen to that. There's like a 30-second long... I hear like a... (laughs) Yeah, they oh, snorting on piggies. Fart. They're farting. Fart. That's Jeff Emmerich, Miking, John Lennon's fart. I'm
0: uncomfortable now.
1: No, it's not really. But, okay, so we're talking about, like, <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: me the post- who, who is Wilson Pickett, though, may I ask? Because I uh, know this name, but I do not know this artist. So for me and anybody else listening who's not familiar.
1: I'm going to get to it. But for starters, right. he has a voice that is so powerful that it could peel the paint off the walls in your room if you started playing him too loudly right now through your laptop like this this guy's voice is just obscenely good uh and it factors into my argument today and particularly the way he uses it at Mm a key moment because one of the one of the what i think is one of the most iconic musical moments in the beatles is the very end of hey jude um, that massive ah. four-minute outro, that ending blast of na-na-na-na's, yeah. right? With McCartney doing his— That's th- a long moment. It's a long moment. It's a long moment. Uh, but its I, w- I would call it a moment because it's like an outro, you know, and because it doesn't really change. Um, you know, McCartney's doing his Little Richard thing over the top. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's mostly just a, a simple, singular part. It's a
0: vamp. It's a vamp. As they say in the biz.
1: And when you think of the Beatles, it, it's a sound that rises to the top of the brain, I think, which says a whole lot, given the fact that they released uh, just a ridiculous amount of great music. Yeah. So it, now,
0: it is one, of the, biggest, it one is. of the biggest hits, especially those later years.
1: It is, yeah. So, so what if I told you today that my mm-hmm. argument is that in a cover version of the song, no less, another artist, namely Wilson Pickett, created an outro that rivals, and in my mind... Eclipses that of the original version, and, and keep in mind this is coming from a diehard, brainwashed Beatle maniac. What, what would you say to that? Mm-hmm. What's what is, what is your initial gut reaction? I say to that?
0: take a walk. It's nuts. <laughs> that's nut, nutty talking. Hoboken style. You're ta- yeah, <laughs> you're you're talking about a moment in musical history beloved by so many. Yes. Paul McCartney screaming. You know. The surefire way to get that audience, mm-hmm. you know, fifty thousand, hundred thousand 100,000 people, all in the same space—they're they're all feeling the same vibes. At the end of that song, you know, that's that's his moment. You're telling me somebody else came in, and and uh, I'm telling you and that gummed up the works here. I'm I'm telling you that man, and 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 I
1: know what you're saying. I it, it's it's you know I have a very visceral memory of seeing McCartney, elder elder McCartney, you know, pl- playing it. Uh, at Bonnaroo, years ago, and uh having you know that's
0: not really McCartney though, right?
1: It, right, It's the guy you know who replaced them after he passed away, right, right just
0: just be clear
1: i under, I'm on the same page as you, right yeah uh but he, so he I had just emerged from the uh potties of Bonnaroo, and that was mm-hmm. like a a harrowing experience. I was already like on in another dimension, having seen those sort of biblical sites there, and then I walked out. and and heard him playing that and there's a whole crowd singing along and it like took me back to the first time I heard the song I have so many different memories of the outro of that song and where I am in my life when I'm hearing it so Mm -hmm. it's a bold claim uh, that I'm making here for such an absurdly beloved and and really ubiquitous track like you can't escape that part of the song and to give you a little bit of the background because I know we Mm -hmm. we do we love our history here on this podcast uh, so you couldn't really escape it then when it came out in 68. It's not like it uh, it was released with a whimper. Um, but a few weeks after it came out, a few weeks, Wilson Pickett stepped into fame studios and muscle shows, that, that uh, amazing muscle, muscle shows re- recording studio. Uh, in Alabama. Yeah. Have you not heard of Wilson Pickett?
0: I've heard the name. I don't know anything about him. You don't? So, it's um, a blind wow. spot.
1: okay. Um yeah, I mean, like, okay, I dare you to listen to Land of a Thousand Dances and not actually dance a little. All right, I'm putting uh, it on the list. In, in the Midnight Hour, uh, 99 and a half, I mean, this guy, you know, it, 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 there's there's a strength in his voice that is like, um, it's palpable. It, it it comes through and he, and right. it's, it's a, yeah, he can, he can melt the paint off the walls with his voice. Uh Duly noted And he's a courageous dude Because this song came out In August of 68 The Beatles version And then Pickett went to the studio And recorded it in November And it was at the top of the charts Like it was doing its thing And he really reimagined the whole Wow Thing uh, That takes some courage uh, Have you ever considered Releasing a song you love And like releasing it properly Not even something that uh, You know is currently topping the charts
0: No <laughs> And the reason why So I don't want to pay the, the bucks <laughs> that you have to pay to, to, uh, to release a cover song it's like that. more of a financial thing. Yeah. Full disclosure, um, uh, maybe this is some kind of backing up on this question now.
1: You covered Hey Jude.
0: My very first album, uh, Eating Peaches, was at the very end going to include my cover of Like a Rolling Stone.
1: Whoa. That's a rough song to cover.
0: I reimagined it as like a slowed down electronic kind of like chill wave inspired thing. And I I think Mm -hmm. it still sounds pretty cool. But I didn't want to pay the bucks. So that is, uh, I released it just as a single independently the cheapest way you could. This was years and years ago now. But uh, so that was my one stab at it. Can you include
1: that cover as the closing credits of this podcast through the magic of Oh,
0: absolutely. I'd be happy to.
1: (laughs) For me to do my uh, requisite Niagara Moon plug. All right. It's a deal. Um, So, yeah, what we're talking about sounds like hubris, right? Um, Now, initially, the producer, the great Rick Hall of Muscle Shoals, uh, balked at the idea of Pickett covering the song uh, for obvious reasons. Because, like, dude, it's uh, number one right now. Why would we do it? Uh, It was actually Dwayne Ullman's suggestion. uh, And he plays on the track. Yes, the Dwayne Ullman. I'm a a Dwayne fan. Dwayne fan. This was pre- Um, uh, Derek and the Dominos fame. So pre-Layla. It's right before Layla. Um, And there is a Layla connection here that we're going to make later. Uh, There was a whole lot of soul versions of Beatles covers coming out around that time, which I think is why he thought of it. And there was also a whole lot of rock covers of popular soul songs happening at the time. You know, like, Mm. this is blending of genres that was succeeding commercially, not just like being great artistically. Um, And this
0: is also the day's uh, correct me if I'm wrong Where like a really popular band Could pretty much just do covers and Sure Three Dog Night Like what the fuck's that You're just doing other <laughs> songs But like that was popular mm-hmm. Yeah But they weren't covering Beatles songs so much Were they? Anyway
1: No I don't, I don't think Three Dog Night
0: was uh, I do like a few of
1: their songs I like the Randy Newman cover I'm forgetting the name of it now Mama Told Me Not To Come I do like that a lot But yes it's a cover um, but so Pickett was initially kind of reluctant. I mean, he wasn't down with the idea as soon as Dwayne suggested it, but he came around to it. And I think he started to envision what he could bring to it, like how he could remake the track in his own artistic image. Uh, mm-hmm. he must've, because the, he comes into the track with such strength and it's like a one take kind of thing. Um, the producer, like Rick Hall is sort of known for like doing it until you get it right. Um, And even he was like, I can't ask these dudes to play this song again. Uh, They did the job. Um, And like I said, like, listen to Land of a Thousand Dances before you listen to this cover, because it's a really great representation of just like um, how incredible uh, Pickett's voice is. Um, And now you pair that voice so that the strength and beauty of what he can do with the playing of Dwayne Allman, and then you get this cover.
0: Open the link. Hey, there's a... Picture of Dwayne Allman. Dwayne Allman,
1: yep. Are we starting at the top? Yep, start at the very top. We're gonna to just play the intro of the song. Click. Hey June,
0: Don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Oh yeah.
1: Remember So we'll let it roll into the next verse. I want you to get to this chorus.
0: The band is great. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's is perfect fit for this. Wait, where do you get a load of these horns? it's like moon dance it
1: is
0: (laughs) i like this better than the original (laughs) wait you gotta let me make my argument you got me
1: okay all right so let's pause it there let's that's that's a good little uh uh Presentation of the, the intro of the song. So that's, that's what that's how it rolls out. It opens with that church organ. Yeah, it feels a little somber, and then they all come in together, and we're just like in it. You know, we're we're there. It's fun as hell. Uh, and, and and Wilson comes in at like an eleven. You know, like he doesn't. He's not easing into the song. It doesn't. It doesn't start in a stripped down way. So the fact that I'm telling you now, the song gets so much bigger than this. Is you're probably like, where is where is Ooh. it going?
0: The, yeah.
1: It gets a whole lot bigger, and it's it comes out of this interplay between Pickett and Allman. It just keeps building and building, and it's just like it becomes the just the best musical conversation you've heard. Uh, they both played standing up, which I think you could probably envision just based on the energy of the song, playing right in each other's faces. Uh, you know, still you might be saying, "But Matt, is this better than the original?" I know you've you know feel a certain way already, but. So this this brings us to the coda, Uh, that iconic piece of Beatles music we were talking about that I feel is is just rivaled and eclipsed by this version. Here it is.
0: so good
1: it's so good I mean I'm sitting here I got goosebumps right now and I've, heard, I've been listening to this
0: all week in preparation this would be in the credits of like an awesome HBO miniseries <laughs> they picked up like this uh, it's just so powerful
1: uh, I think I stood up out of my chair the first time I heard it I didn't know what to do with myself
0: How do you just like end a session and go home after doing this? (laughs) I feel like it has to end here. Just go on with your day. Yeah,
1: you're not. I don't think you're doing uh, takes of other tracks after that. (laughs) So yeah. So that is just a thing of um, a thing of beauty. Uh, I I really I have trouble thinking of a more powerful cover just in general. Uh, let alone powerful cover of a
0: song that's this iconic. I mean, can you can you think of anything? Well, it's, um, I mean, short answer, no. Um, I did think of Stevie Wonder's cover of We Can Work It Out.
1: Oh, yeah. Another Beatles song. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I forgot about that one. That is that is very powerful, and I do love it. Not necessarily to the level I love it, this stuff. It,
0: it doesn't, you know, hit the highs that this is hitting, obviously, but... You said Wilson Pickett, and I've, it sounds like the actor Slim Pickens. I'm just picturing <laughs> like kind of like a, a country, yeah. white dude from the south. Yeah, kind of country-ish <laughs> approach. Yeah, Hey Jude, you can totally put like a, a real soul spin on that. I mean, it's just makes pe- total sense to me. It's peanut butter and jelly, right?
1: Like it's, yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. thing that just gets enhanced, and it's so surreal. Like it, it, took, it took a lot for me to hear this song mm. in a new way. Because I heard it so much. And, and mostly when you listen to covers, let's face it, you're kind of just noticing where they deviated from the original. And usually the, yeah. the best thing a cover can do is just like add a new dimension to a tune. But mostly you're just like, I, I want to hear the original.
0: The original, yeah.
1: This is rare, though. Like I, I will say, I need this version in my life. I need this yeah. coda in my life just as much
0: as I need the originals. You sold me. <laughs> and, and it, it's a, I love... This, like, this era, the late 60s, I guess you said Muscle Shoals, uh, you know, but this, this like, southern soul rock, like, the kind of backing they had, like, just the tone and the choices of, like, the bass player and the drummer, like, the way they were, I could listen to that kind of shit all day long. Yes, like, <laughs> yes. It's yes. just such a sweet spot Oh, yeah, me. it's such a
1: sweet spot. I, I completely agree. Like, you can even, you can listen to, like, average albums from this era, and they're still, you know, phenomenal. Uh Here's here's part of my argument. Why is the original's coda so amazing? It's because after this gorgeously melodic moving song, there's this explosive ending that's surprising. Like it surprises you and it still has that keeps quality. Keeps going of,
0: and keeps going. Yeah.
1: It, it, it still surprises me even now when I hear the Beatles version, that ending, it's just something about it. Uh, Pickett takes that and just amplifies it. Like he puts the whole thing on steroids and, and it's so much more of a good thing. Uh, so it's not like a wildly new emotional blueprint. Like yes, it's a new aesthetic thing, but it's just the original intent, but but bigger and more unhinged. So uh, I agree on all those points. <laughs>
0: all right, so I don't even have to really push for
1: this argument, but
0: uh, it, it, no. Wait, see, here's the problem. A little bit though, too. Um, that's a song where, like you said, McCartney's doing his little Richard thing. Uh huh. I hate that oh, shit.
1: Oh, I see where I you're going. I want to skip it every this. time. I,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, okay. it, you know, a different Beatles fan, it, you might have had a, a harder time, but I'm like, stay in your lane, buddy, when I, when I hear that. So, you're saying because of what he is trying to approximate vocally,
1: we're just getting the real deal. You're getting the, the real Wilson deal. Pickett I don't doesn't. want to
0: hear his silly, goofy version of it. I don't you, know. You want to hear it? <laughs> too much of the goods going around. Oh, but I that's just one some, man's opinion.
1: You're going to get some crap for that take. But um, uh, Paul McCartney,
0: I think, sleeps easy. I think his, his legacy probably, is secure. He's
1: probably not too worried about uh, he, so, so, Wilson, he, he, he named hey, hey Jude was the name of the subsequent album. So, I think he knew what he had with this cover. That's bold. Yeah. And the song itself blew up the career of Dwayne Allman. Um, Eric Clapton, when he heard this version, called up Tom Dowd at Atlantic. Producer told him he'd never heard better rock guitar playing, and then Clapton recruited him for Derek and the Dominoes and then he gives us Layla. Then the Allman Brothers really happened. Uh, and you know, so sort of the rest is history. And I and I think another another check in the column of maybe this is more important musically. Yeah, it, a session musician, this guy Jimmy Johnson, said the track helped to create the Southern rock genre. This is this is pre Leonard Skinner, pre allman Brothers uh it just helped birth this whole style of music huh. did the ori- did the original do that you know i don't i don't think that it did nope so okay, here's what i'll i'll end with is, is thomas what are your thoughts here like what does this coda do for you does it
0: it does it eclipse the original uh and have i uh convinced you like i said i'm kind of you know i'm a man of uh, hot takes myself and i had a different point <laughs> of are. view about hey it's Jude, on your it's on your resume it's on the top do. of your resume yes Yeah, I was working on my resume today. As a matter of fact, oh nice. Uh, uh, So, I'll tell you what. Yeah, the I liked the first part of the song more than the coda. Wow, (laughs) like you said. So the um, reverse
1: of what my argument is.
0: Well, I don't know if I'd love the coda in either song. Like it's obvious, it's it's iconic, obviously, and it's catchy. The way he was doing the beginning part of the song, so we listened to the, like the first minute and a half, and when mm-hmm. the brass came in, and the, just the energy he's giving the vocal, and like I said, the rhythm section is on fire. You got freaking Dwayne Allman, and you like you said, how where do you go from here? It's already so high energy. Mm. A little bit too much of a good thing for me mm. with the, the outro. I mean, I definitely can appreciate it, but I almost, right. I almost, uh, I mean. You can't have restraint at the second half of Hey Jude. That's not what it's about. Yeah, but yeah. For me, I liked a little <laughs> yeah, yeah. bit more of the holding it back slightly. That was that would, Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah.
1: Well, so I don't know. know maybe uh, I'm somewhere in the middle here. In the middle. You know. Yeah. I mean. I mean. You're you're wrong, but it's you know. It's it's. I, <laughs> I accept. I accept your opinion, and um, you know, we're, we're we're all just allowed to be uh, wrong
0: sometimes. Yeah, well, I th- I think you stated your case. He made a very convincing mm-hmm. argument. I'm I did. Thrilled, I'm thrilled to have discovered this tune and uh finally put a face to the name Wilson Pickett. So Yes.
1: Oh, okay. And yeah, and then the next thing you should do is listen to In the Midnight Hour and yeah. Land of a Thousand Dances and Oh and just, yeah, yeah. I'm
0: thankful for the thankful for the new recommend. It's it's been a while since I've had like a classic artist to dig into that i n- know nothing about i think like nick lowe is the last one so oh that's Get a good one too on the list yeah well this you're gonna enjoy this and, and i think you know his, his stuff is very well produced
1: too uh so you know, listen to important headphones to me. And, yeah yeah all
0: right so i've given you this great argument what, what do you got i love it what do you well, got for me so i'm gonna present a song today a tale the theme here is a bit Revisionist history. Okay. Uh, So I'm talking about a a musician that you are, I'm going to say you're very likely familiar with. Many people nowadays are not. Um, Okay. And this musician is famous for one song in particular. And even that song, I I wouldn't count on uh, younger people knowing it because it's kind of, it was huge, at the time, but it's kind of faded away over the decades. feel free to to guess who i'm talking about at any point
1: I have, uh, no idea. I, have, I have no idea yeah I'm a, i'll
0: get I'll get a little more specific here uh, are we talking
1: about like one hit wonder are we talking about yeah
0: no? we're we're well oh. that's kind of a bit a bit of a question but uh, yes uh the certainly the the common perception is this artist is the definition of a one hit wonder okay uh they Came to prominence in the early '60s.
1: Early '60s, okay. Early '60s. How early? Like pre-Beatlemania,
0: as early as it gets (laughs) before Beatlemania. January first, nineteen sixty. Almost distinctly pre-Beatlemania. Wow. Okay. All right. But uh, they're they're famous for, I'll say, uh, dance tunes. They were synonymous with uh, dance hall music. Okay. Um, I'll get a little more specific now. Uh, <laughs> okay. Part of their name is is based off of uh, something you'd use to play a board game. Hmm.
1: Are we talking about ch- Chubby Checker? Talking <laughs> about Chubby Checker,
0: okay? <laughs> okay. I'm talking about my fucking Chubby Checker. Yeah. Are you familiar with the I man? I am familiar with him.
1: Uh, I am also familiar with the fact that uh, there's like a weird sequel thing that's happening with those singles. Right? Like like that the the song Let's Twist Again like we did last summer. Oh yeah. Came out of a previous incarnation of him twisting. And I think there was another one after that. There was like several twists related.
0: He rode the The twists, money train (laughs) all the way around the world. He twisted
1: all the way to the bank, is what you're saying.
0: I'll I'll give you all right, let's I'll present it this way. I'm gonna give you a list of his studio albums. Starting in 1960, he was 18 when the twist came okay. out. How many uh, life and career defining decisions uh, did you have to make at 18? Oh man, not a, not a whole ago. lot. You know, so this, I said, "This is a bit of a tale of revisionist history." Um, I'll get to my point soon, but I, you know, we we this guy this is all basically a punchline. Oh, that guy who did the twists, whatever hmm. his name's Chubby Checker, haha. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of Fats Domino. Mm-hmm. There could be an argument made. This man potentially could have been seen as an artist. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. But we got Twist with Chubby Checker. And then in the same year for Twisters Only. Next year is 1961. Let's Twist again. It's Pony Time. For Teen Twisters Only. Limbo Party. That's okay. all in the year 1961. Four albums. Uh, 1962 Beach Party. Twisting Around the World. Nineteen sixty-three. Let's limbo some more. Okay.
1: Let's. Is that a question? Was that one? Of, was that a? Qu-
0: <laughs> there was no question. Oh, mark. is you saying, it's, it's, it's I, declarative a artistic statement. license. We're
1: limboing more. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Chubby Checker in person. Nineteen sixty-four. You got Chubby's folk album. Pathetic. He has a folk record. Such a. It's called Chubby's Folk Album. I listened to a bit, and it's actually a lot better than it has any right to be. You. You just think like, oh, like. This is what this guy's clinging on to. Like four years later, he just has to grab on to what, like, whatever current musical trend is going on. Mm-hmm. And it's chubby doing folk, like hacky, whatever. So then 1965, nothing. 66, 67, 68, 69, 70. And then in 1971, you have the album Checkered. Okay. Spelled the British way. With the Q. Like uh, with Q okay. U. That's beautiful spelling. Checkered. And we're talking about Checkered today.
1: I'm very curious about this because I don't know anything about this man's.
0: You don't know no, shit, know right? Nobody. Nobody does. I know this song. Nobody I does know the this one song. This album flopped. Okay. You know, you know the one song. I know The one song, and
1: that it was based on a which series one? of twisting songs.
0: Wait, wait, which which Chubby's Checkered twist song again? Do you
1: know? Like we did last summer. That song. Oh, you know that before the twist. I do. Yeah, that's that's the one I really am familiar mm-hmm. with. I I, I don't know, I, I couldn't actually tell okay. you what the original twist was. I know I just know. Are that they he, different? <laughs> yeah, because he's saying let's twist again. So clearly in the initial one okay. they're twisting for the first time.
0: Yeah. Hey, if you need another hit, just <laughs> have your hit song and then add Do it again. again. Yeah. Uh, well, so we're talking about Checkered. This album flopped. Uh, if you go to this man's Spotify page, it's this album is not on there. Ooh. He's kind of uh, not really decided to promote it much in the um, ensuing decades. It's kind of forgotten a bit of psychedelic hard rock history. And my thesis is if he had had at least one good collaborator, he could have been somebody. He could have been a contender.
1: You mean beyond the one-hit wonder of...
0: He could have been considered an artist, anything beyond just, oh, that guy who had some freaking twists twist song yeah. 60 years ago now, and then after that, he's just a joke. He could have been more than simply a right-said-Fred-I'm-too-sexy-for-my-shirt status artist. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my, my theory here. You may very well disagree, Okay, but uh, we're going to listen to a tune now. Uh, this tune is called "Stoned in the Bathroom."
1: Whoa, okay, this is very different than "Twisting." Was was pretty innocent.
0: Oh yeah, no, it ain't 1960 anymore.
1: He's not even. He's not even on the dance floor. He's like, presumably by himself. No, in the he's bathroom.
0: he's he's going inside his mind.
1: Okay, this is the third. He's, eye he's song. digging deep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. my favorite part coming up
1: all right
0: you get the idea a little bit
1: yeah i do yeah
0: So he wrote every song on this album himself. Okay, it's a full-length album. Uh, It's in this kind of like late '60s, early '70s hard rock genre, a little Deep Purple. Yeah, I I mean, I I
1: hear some of that with that. That organ is is uh, is nice. Pretty funky drums. Uh, uh,
0: And uh, it was produced by a man named Ed Chalpin, who at the time was also. Chubby's manager. Interesting. It's quite a weird Wikipedia for this Ed Chalpin. I'll just read a bit here. Record executive and producer and manager. He's He is, quote unquote, he is probably remembered for his association with Curtis Knight and the Squires, which caused problems for Jimi Hendrix throughout his career. Mm. Um, so this guy, as far as I could make out looking on Wikipedia and Discogs, it's like he worked with Jimi Hendrix's first band. Or whatever, one of you know, the band that Jimi Hendrix was with before he struck out on his own. I've never, I personally haven't ever heard uh, Curtis Knight and Squires. So I can't comment on him, but he did this album for Chubby Checker, and then it's nothing, nothing else on that resume mm. for this oh, that's man. Yeah. Really. So this
1: is his sole production credit.
0: I don't know if it's the only one, but I couldn't find any other names. Yeah. <laughs> going, go in my <laughs> research here. It's it's uh, very loose.
1: Like the, like the feel of it's very loose. Like you could tell, like you it's know, they sort of loose. like lose the tempo sometimes, and you know, it, it does yeah. sound like an early take, like because he's not yet like yeah getting all the lyrics, fitting all the lyrics into the into the tempo.
0: The uh, musicians remain uncredited. Okay, and as far as I could make out, uh, they only like they recorded this in in a couple of days. It mm. was very you know rapid fire uh sessions it was uh, uh recorded in new york and um i don't know first thing that came to mind for me you know having your manager be the producer mm. does that ever work out
1: i think well, i think maybe that has worked isn't springsteen doesn't he have that situation going on where he's uh, with john land uh, oh really he, i don't know for sure i, I think uh, i might just be making that up but
0: Oh, no, 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 because no, he had, um, what's his face, Sopranos guy, Stephen Van Zandt.
1: Well, he was like a yeah, key collaborator, but I do think Landau was yeah. producing stuff,
0: but I don't have many yeah, examples it, of... It wasn't like Landau and Bruce and nobody had it. And right, yeah. I, I'm skeptical at it. It's an arrangement that works because it's like the guy who's responsible for you know shouting at people on the phone to get you your money, he's going to tell you if that drum take was good enough, if the snare is in tune. The like,
1: snare, the snare <laughs> drum is mic'd properly, yeah.
0: Also, it's, I'm sure they rushed these sessions. Yeah. Um, you know, do just <laughs> they, <laughs> I, I played you one of the tighter tunes. There's like weird kind of shaky moments in a lot of these songs that it's like, yeah, you might want to do some more takes or flesh this out more. They,
1: they do sound like first take. It, it, that, that song sounded yeah. like first take. I, I, that being said, I, I really like it. And, and I would definitely listen, I would listen to it, um, you know, outside of this podcast and I would never guess that it was in a million years that it was chubby checker singing. Cause his yeah. voice also sounds different from that.
0: His voice is lower. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's kind of giving it a different affectation
1: and it's very like darkly trippy. The lyrics that he's talking about, like, uh, kind of getting lost in, 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 yeah. in drugs. And, uh, <laughs> that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> there's there's no that.
0: glamorous side to, to drug use, uh, as far as I can tell with this album. It's it's kind of, yeah, he's, he's checking it all out, and he's going he's gonna to give you the score. Maybe this is what happens when you twist too much? <sighs> he, he got twisted. Is this about the
1: dangers of this dangers of twisting?
0: He should have called this album Twisted. twisted.
1: Oh, yeah. He got checkered. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so if we're getting to the core of my argument here, and I'm going to show you one more little bit of a tune that kind of further illustrates this. It's like, there might have been something going on with Chubby. Like you said, you just heard this and you're like, oh, I'm kinda into this. Yeah, it's this kinda I'm cool, really kinda intrigued. interesting. His voice sounds different. He needed a creative partner to kind of bring it home, I think. Like
1: hmm.
0: maybe a co-writer, like a Bernie Taupin type. Right, right, right. Where it's like, okay, you're working on this, you got these ideas, but like let's clean this up because this intro to this song with the organ, I don't know, dude, this gets a little wonky for a bit. Like, you know, let's put a little more structure here. Yeah. Let's rehearse. <laughs> um, I got it because it's like Ed Chalpin, you know. Oh, you know, oh, you want to do more takes? Well, if we quit the sessions now, think of the thousands of dollars <laughs> we <laughs> saved.
1: Yeah, you don't <laughs> you know? want the person in charge of finances uh, recording. We saved so much yeah. money.
0: <laughs> he needed an Eddie Kramer. I mean, everybody could use an Eddie Kramer. Are you familiar with Eddie Kramer? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was Jimi Hendrix's main guy, but he's worked with freaking everybody. Mm-hmm. Beatles, Bowie, Rolling Stones, Zeppelin, Clapton, blah, 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 you get the idea. He, but if he had like at least one person like that in his orbit to kind of steer the ship a little bit, mm. I think this album could have done something because it totally tanked at the time. That's
1: not surprising.
0: Yeah, in all accounts. I mean, also, the freaking cover, he looks... Sorry, he looks like he's waiting for the bus. It's a very underwhelming kind of image to put yeah. on your, your big experimental kind of pensive album
1: yeah
0: uh so i don't know maybe as a somewhat of a creative collaborator and like a brand consultant, a brand consultant right. it didn't have to be anybody just somebody to help you in this is a very vulnerable moment how many how many artists do this this is a, back huge, up a, little bit. a
1: huge stylistic jump and it's it sounds i mean i've just heard this one track um, but he's, he sounds like he's getting far out. And if you're saying that the other tracks feel even more loose, um, you know, that there's this uh, probably a different marketing strategy that could have been employed.
0: Yeah, I think there there is something here. I'm going to play you one more song. Okay. And further illustrate my point, this was not on the original version of the album, let alone like anywhere near the beginning of the album, which is not so to me. Like, this is this is your opener, what I'm about to show. Like, this is... There, there's something going on here. this song is called uh, so we just heard Stone in the bathroom this song's called Gypsy okay
1: yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. this isn't oh this isn't on the record. Wow.
0: The lyrics are a little underwhelming. Eh?
1: <laughs> it does. It sounds like that, uh, like those Jimi Hendrix, um, Mitch Mitchell, breakbeats. You know? Oh, totally. Song's five minutes that long. You drums get the idea. are wild. Who, who's playing? Do you know who's um, playing drums on that? It even insane. sounds like Mitch Mitchell a little bit. You're
0: gonna leave that guy uncredited?
1: Yeah, it's messed up.
0: I don't. It's uncredited. What a slap in the face. Wow. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's that's you credit your musicians very fast, uh, considering what he's doing.
0: So, the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by uh, Quentin Tarantino, okay. you know, envisions a world where. Certain factors were different. Brad Pitt can shut down uh, the Manson family before they do their horrible deeds. Could you go back in time and change Chubby, Checker, Chubby Checker's career into something else and uh, he could go on to, to make a string of albums that uh, get some critical notice?
1: I, I would say yeah, because like I, the thing that impresses me the most about... Um, the sound is that he was willing to go here and, and willing to evolve. It reminds me of uh, this is a very stupid comparison I'm about to make, but like, if you remember the movie interview with the vampire, which my wife had on the other day, and that's the only reason I'm thinking about it. <sighs> I uh, haven't seen it. It's it's okay. Uh, but anyway, like there, there are the vampires that can evolve and the ones that can, and the ones that can who can sort of update with the okay. times they can survive. Uh, and what I'm seeing here with, with this artist is that he is able to survive and, and take on the sound of, of what is happening currently and sort of merge it with his skills. And I didn't realize that he had this uh, level of singing ability based on the, you know, that sort of more um, mellow got good pipes. vibe that he had on the, on the, the original Twist songs. So, uh, yeah, I do think that he, just because of his willingness to, um, transform that he could have, uh, he, he could have done well with this album. I think it's probably not, I mean, it came out in what, 71, did you say? When did it?
0: 71.
1: It's also a weird time for this album. It's like, uh. Seven
0: years after the last album he had released. Yeah. Like what, what was going on in those seven years?
1: (laughs) Well, he was doing the beach parties and the limboing and and all that. I mean it does, it does make it very evident that that what he was doing up until that point must have been a slug, right? I mean I don't know I don't know much about him or what he said about it, but if this was sort of waiting and in-
0: uh, I got, I got one quote for you. Okay. Um so one thing he said uh in the book The Twist, The Story of the Song and Dance That Changed the World. Mm. Uh ellipses in a way, the twist really ruined my life. Jesus. I was on my way to becoming a big nightclub performer, and the twist just wiped it out. It got so out of proportion. No one ever believes I have talent. Mm. That's really sad. I have a, I have a counter to that that I discovered about a half hour before we started talking that unfortunately puts this whole thing kind of out of whack a little bit too. Okay. Um, there is a clip of him on YouTube uh, from, like, 2013. He's playing at some venue called Looney Tunes in West Babylon, New York. Oh, West Babylon. Uh, Okay, yeah, I know the area. Yeah, maybe you know Looney Tunes. And um, he's, you know, he's he's got the girls on stage with him and the the guitarist with the sunglasses and the drummer, and it's kind of a small stage. But, hey, you know, you take your gigs where you can get them. Yeah, yeah power to him all these years later you know gigging around 2013 but he takes it upon himself to go on this like 4 minute rant before starting the twists like it's in between songs and he's like the song i'm about to play you the twists he go he repeatedly says it's it was the best song in the world okay and uh he he starts complaining for like 2 3 minutes about how it's been so unfairly ignored like, you know, the, you hear the Rolling Stones on the radio all the time, even though they haven't hit in a while. How come you're not going to hear Chubby Checker? Mm. You know, the twists, you know, that... It was so much this and that. And all the other musicians on stage are, like, cringing oh. and looking down. And you can tell they're like, God, I want a different gig. Uh, he just, But he just goes on and on about the, the twist is so good and why are people ignoring him? Call Call your local radio station. Mm. You know, this is unfair. So I'm like is this Stockholm syndrome, like this guy had to be, he had to be the twist. So he, he had to change his whole mind about it after like, you know, his, his artistic effort failed or what was, I just, I got very interested in the uh, psychology of it all.
1: Well, I I mean, on the scale of one hit wonders, like it's pretty massive. I know it's not like probably often, it's not brought up enough in the, you know, what are the biggest one hit wonders or whatever, but Uh, yeah, I mean, it really was a phenomenon at the time. So uh, I can see why he would be so conflicted about it because it it gave him just probably an insane quality of life for that period, and then he has to play it constantly. And it's not like a song that, like, I imagine you can still relate to. (laughs) Like, you know, when you're 50 and you've sung it for, you know, 30 years or whatever, it's probably tough to... Dig into the, the motivation behind it he
0: he was comparing it to the, like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones though hmm. like yeah like they're both old acts but dude like you ne- you never made sticky fingers I'm sorry <laughs> like this is not just a, well, maybe, the world's against you kind of I thing think as that he was,
1: maybe could this an album like this shows that he was he was trying to or he was trying to have that second act or that's that, that yeah. second creative life it,
0: I've showed you the highlights from this album, okay i t- I totally get why it flopped still, like I said, it needed a little more juice, like musically, it wasn't if you're going to do something like this, it's really got a musically hit, mm-hmm. and he didn't quite have The big question here is, why is Ed Chalpin the best he could do? Mm-hmm. if he had such such a big hit like that?
1: I, I, yeah, yeah, it might he might have been the person who was like, "All right, I'll take this on." like it, it was probably a tough sell. For anyone that he didn't, wasn't like, uh, involved with already. That might have been why he was, he was stuck working with his mm. manager producer.
0: He's still alive, right? Chubby Checker? He's still going. Yep. Mm. He's still around. I don't know why he won't put, uh, Checkered back on his Spotify. It should be on his Spotify. I would, I would 100% listen to that yeah, in my spare time. He kind of, I get the impression he's, he's just, it's like, uh, He doesn't want to think about it. He's just buried it under the rug. Wow. This this is like one of those records that
1: you could see. There's like a groundswell behind it. Uh, Maybe it starts ironically of like, oh, the guy who did the twist, like you know. uh, But and then it becomes something where people rediscover it. I, I could see that happening. Like it's interesting enough that the two tracks I heard, it's it's interesting. It's funky sounds different it's, it's really loose and it's like that's some of those things are the recipe for a cult album you know a lot of cult albums are really loose yeah
0: like i said if he had i think if you had had a little more time in the studio maybe a little co-writing going on mm-hmm. a little more attentive production because right now this album checkered i feel like it's it's more of a curio but it could have it could have risen a hidden gem status
1: i i i, I, I agree with you
0: I need I need a time machine, Matt. I'm going to go it's back in time and, and fix this Chevy Checker album. Yeah,
1: and I saw that one of the one of the YouTube comments was talking about Joe Cocker saying, like, "Well, if Joe Cocker sang this, it would have been a huge hit." And I know that you have issues. Yeah, with I agree Joe with that.
0: <laughs> I Joe Cocker's not I, fuck Joe Cocker. He's nothing. Wow, that's me. Get, a get hot take Checker right there. In there. Yeah, he's just a singer guy. How many others, you know? And hmm. he's it's that Paul McCartney thing. He's he's he's, he's I don't. If you're gonna sing like that, I don't want chubby checker. I don't want some right. guy in a tie-dye shirt. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't. I can't say I feel strongly one way or the other. With he does have gross hair, but uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I I, I I do agree with you though. I I think that um I I it's it's in my queue now to listen this week to, to check out that whole record. I I feel like it's there's a lot that's going on there that's very interesting, and uh, it's one of those things that could be discovered. What's being discovered Go now. Forth.
0: Yeah, yep. Come to your come to your own conclusions. I, yeah. I I heartily encourage it. So yes, there. My whole point is there's something here. And I, I I if anybody can think of it, please let me know. What other like one hit wonder like dance hit artist came back with an album like like this? I I don't think that happens very often. Mm. Anyway, so what what, um, have we, what would you say we've learned today? What's the the takeaway? the last thing I wanted to share that I've learned, in fact, I got this from Reddit r slash today I learned, the first thing that came up when I looked up Chubby Checker. Okay. So this is what I learned, Matt. Singer Chubby Checker, famous for the song The Twist, sued Hewlett-Packard over an app designed to measure penis size called Chubby Checker.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow.
0: That's uh. Interesting. That's from The Guardian. So you know that's real. Well, good for him suing
1: there. You know? You got to stake your claim. I mean, that's like pretty humiliating.
0: Uh, (laughs) Why would you call yourself Chubby Checker, though, past like. Who who knows if he, you know? Who knows if
1: he uh, came up with that himself? I mean, that sounds like a nickname. Oh, you know, the story
0: goes that's a. It was a nickname given to him because he's like you know childhood childhood nicknamed chubby. Mm-hmm. Oh, is your last? There's fats Domino. Are you chubby checker? Oh, like, eh, wow, heh, I heh. never put that together. Yeah, but in wow. the 70s – that that, is,
1: that actually is something I learned today. That blows my mind. Chubby checker, fats Domino. In a
0: post in a post Woodstock world, you're going to still call yourself chubby. Sure. You know that's a whole other. We're we're out of time, but yeah. that's a whole other, like. Change your name, dude. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But well, yeah, Hewlett-Packard got a little out of line there. Hewlett-Packard? What were they thinking to begin with? Um, what did I learn
1: today? I learned that uh, you need to listen to Wilson Pickett as soon as possible. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, that, that needs to happen. Uh, listen to a song called 99 and a Half. That's, that song, it's, it's a yeah, lesser right. known song, and it's
0: just uh, it just kicks so much ass. I'll cue it up. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, dear audience.
1: (laughs) We'll come up with something good to put in there. We'll come up with something.
0: All righty. How does it feel? did it first episode in the can thanks very much for listening please remember to rate review subscribe give a like uh we really appreciate the support see you next time